Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I find it difficult to associate them with being brave or being fearless or being adventurous because I think that the people that I found when I was there are in fact, you know, it's their part of the world and they're there as an, as an imposter doing a job for a week or two weeks. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and episode 65 with George Butler. George is an award-winning artist and illustrator who specialises in travel and current affairs. George's desire to record scenes in ink rather than with a camera means he's witnessed some extraordinary things over the past few years. In 2012, he walked from Turkey into Syria where he drew the war-torn town of Azaz as a guest of the rebel Free Syrian Army. In this episode, George speaks about the extraordinary moments he's witnessed, the pressure to get his art right, in inverted commas, and how he struggles with the concept of bravery. This episode is a real victim of the recorded online situation we found ourselves in over the past year. George was speaking to me from a block of creative studios in London, where others were having fun in the background with a staple gun and a chainsaw. That's right, a chainsaw. Um, I didn't see that coming. The sound quality is okay in places and pretty ropey in others, but stick with it. George is an incredibly interesting guy and it's worth it. Okay, over to George Butler. guess an obvious place to start is who are you what do you do and how do you make your money and live your life yeah um all good questions um my name is george butler i'm a an artist and illustrator and i run rather kind of grandly began to call myself an artist reporter which is just a way around of trying to explain to people who ask what i do beyond uh illustrations which obviously evoke an idea of some children's books or um or uh some beer mats or whatever so it's the work that i do is uh, i go to places in the world that i think are interesting or misunderstood or on the on the edges of the front pages but perhaps didn't make it because of a covid story or a brexit story or whatever the whatever the story is that day and i sit down and i draw them um, so my job, uh, albeit I think sort of self-appointed, is to, as I see it, is to is to visit places that I ordinarily wouldn't understand very much about, but know that there is more to it than 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 we see on our front pages. So um, the borders of Syria and Iraq and on oil rigs and in courtrooms and down gold mines. Um, anywhere where I've sat down and people have come up to talk to me and the picture that I was drawing that I thought might be a good looking thing to draw then suddenly becomes a story. The, the drawings that then follow are me trying to do justice to what they've told me in their words. Um, and. Um, I, it, it's supposed to be, but the reportage aspect of it is supposed to be about 
about them, whoever they are, and whatever the situation is. Okay, and so uh, this is you know it's an obvious silly question, but why why not just photograph them and write about them? I think, um, well, I mean I'm biased, but I think there are fantastic advantages to drawing. Uh, originally it was used to engage audiences sort of all through the 18th, 19th centuries. And still today, it wasn't just, we were waiting around for, for, um, photography to come along. We were, we, we wanted to know what these things looked like. And we were emotionally attached to the representations that artists made. Um, that of course is totally shortcut by this sort of obsession and the magic of photography and may never be, it may never overcome it again, but there is, I think a value in, uh, uh, something that's made by hand from, by one person of, of another. And, um, there's a sort of ability another sort of, uh, sort of, uh, I guess it's the sort of care and attention that has gone into it that means that it, it can be equally powerful. Um, so I think that stacks up. And I think it's interesting when you have a, uh, a page or a, you're scrolling through, through loads of um, it, f- photography to have a, to it, for it to be punctuated by illustration. But more than that, I think, uh, more than that, I think, Perhaps this is talked about a lot on on here. It's it's very much about uh, to use a kind of trendy word, process, and you simply don't, you just don't get a chance to sit down in a place and spend time with people who, are in the situations that that I've found myself in, uh, unless you've got a reason to do it, it isn't good enough just to sit down. Uh, sometimes not good enough to sit down with a, just a camera. Sometimes. It's, uh not good enough to be there with it you know as a role in uh, as, as with a job in these parts of that world but in, in those parts of the world but with a sketch book and a pen and a paper because it's so because it's open and you can see what you're doing and it's it's just a pen there's no there's no camera um it seems to be a sort of it seems to be a, a as paul paul hogarth described it as a handshake it's a kind of introduction to a place and you don't need to speak the language but as long as you're willing to sit down and be in the corner and not ask too many questions you're allowed to be there yeah that makes a lot of sense and you know i've experienced it hundreds of times where you want to ask somebody if you can take their photograph or sometimes you just take their photograph and there's a moral and ethical question around that obviously but do you just sit down and start drawing or how does it work? I, uh, yeah, I just sit down and start drawing. And I mean, it, it, that's not always true. It, it, most of the time I sit down and start drawing and because it seems so unthreatening and because, uh, because the drawing doesn't, it, it to start with look like anything. Um, you sort of get permission to do it because if people are willing to do it, then they, you know, they, they will just sit there or they just carry on. That's, and that's the greatest, that's, that's the aim for them to carry on without really paying any attention. Uh, obviously there have been cases where I have sat and, uh, interviewed and drawn at the same time. And then you get a sort of combination of the two, um, and, but yeah, that I mean, it goes without saying that they are giving permission because they can see it, and it takes twenty-five minutes or twenty minutes. But obviously, I do I do ask in those in those cases. I realise we're diving in deep to start with here, but to what extent is the artwork and are the drawings the the specific exact representation of what you're seeing versus how something feels or what a person said? That's a very good question. Uh, obviously, I think they're brilliantly accurate. <laughs> um, but um, 
uh, well, I've noticed something about uh, drawing in places like Mosul in Syria and drawing people that were telling me their stories. When I felt like this was a, it was an extraordinary scene. Um, so this little town in Azaz where the war had rolled through 10 days earlier and there was a tank and some kids playing on it. Um, I found myself being quite uh, incredibly uptight and just sort of obsessive about making sure that I got every single detail right in my mind and so that somebody else could see what it looked like, that it was important to get the shape of the tank so that was recognizable. It was important to get the, the mosque that had been uh, knocked down um, as if it was recognizable. I don't think they necessarily make the best pictures. I think uh, if I was drawing a bunch of flowers or a fruit bowl um, back in the studio, or then you can be expressive and uh, and fill these the, those moments with feeling. But but there is a, um, a sort of tension that I can almost feel talking to you about it now, kind of nervousness to make sure that getting it right is is um, sort of happens. I suppose it's yeah. It's a bit like being nervous when you're trying to speak or like do some public speaking. It almost makes it better because there's a real pressure in your voice to get it right. And that is even more true when you sit down in front of somebody and they're telling you their experience of the week before. Or there's this drawing I did of a, of a lady called Mama Nazik. And uh, it was 10 years ago now, but I still, uh, well, I'll never forget it. But she was telling me a story of her, one of her sons uh, who had died and one had been um, blown up and another had been shot uh, in the back. And they were all roughly my age. And I suddenly realized that she was telling me because I was, I was a, a similar age to her sons. And uh, there was this sort of pressure to suddenly draw and she was just sitting right in front of me. Um, and it was um it was that it was this sort of extraordinary um, moment to try and put down on the page everything that i could everything i was trying to do w was focused on making it look like her so that i wouldn't so that i wouldn't forget and i could tell other people about it i think that's a um it's a good question i think yeah there's a real balance between loosening up and being expressive which is what of course all the art te teachers and schools are telling everybody to do um versus accuracy the two aren't the two aren't binary or right or wrong yeah 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 definitely not um so yeah the best but to, yeah and to sort of to answer your question a little bit more you're doing that thing very well where you just leave a silence and then just let the other the other person speak oh just trick in the book but I, i'm gonna fall for it uh and then to fill in that a little bit more i think um i think the best drawings that i do when i feel like i've done my job uh have been away from editors and commissions and i've I've just discovered a place or a person, not obviously not for the first time, but just on my own and those drawing those. And I thought that's what I want to, I know that the people I know and that don't know about this. And I've made 10 or 15 drawings and gone to describe it and taken photos and sent them back to newspapers. It's very interesting as a methodology. Uh, you know, you said that, I mean, I guess as a pre-screen for coming on here, you listen to the Michael Turek episode and that's, you know, probably the most arty, creative podcast I've ever recorded. Um, right. I, I'm... That had some good process in it. He talked a lot of... I mean, that was all about process, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very interesting man. But this is about you, not him. Um, so, and look, you're talking about... <laughs> Breaking, breaking fourth walls, talking about technique and segues. Um, 
where does this all begin? Where does the love, what comes first? The, the journalistic streak and curiosity or the art? I think, uh, well, the other day I got to, th- I got to 35 and thought, I'm um, just carve this like unique path. And then I realized that actually it is exactly what my mum basically does. And that is to, she doesn't, she doesn't do it in the same way, but she, she's an art teacher. She uh, writes about it and, um, oh, she's drawing obviously at home in, in rural England. But you've, I sort of set out thinking that I was doing something totally different and then realized that I, I hadn't really done anything different at all. And, um, the, the, the drawing part for me became, it was an excuse to sort of be peaceful and sort of go off on my own at school and learn something that I loved doing. And uh, that, there's two sides of it. One is that kind of obsessive nature that lots of artists have of making a perfect picture and every picture they start wants to be, look good. And, and there is an illusion in copying what is in front of you, which I think people enjoy as well. In the places that I go is often a thing that attracts people to come look over your shoulder because you're you're recreating something that they recognize it might be their friend it might be their street um it may be not a very good representation in which case it's even funnier better reason to sort of invite you in for tea and, and be engaged and so there's that part of it creating something that looks good and I found that it became it was my excuse for going to different parts of the world that, uh, that I would otherwise never cross paths with. And the drawing is the reason to go. And all the, and so it's my, it's sort of like sitting down and taking notes on a place that, uh, sort of like being in a lecture, it's my way of learning about it and remembering it. And when you make a mark on the page, it sort of has this sort of, I can often remember like pieces of conversation when I'm looking back over over uh, drawings because I don't know there's something linked with with your hand and your mind that kind of jolts your memory. So the stories definitely followed afterwards. I'd l- I'd learnt to draw before, and then not interestingly, I don't think they're reliant necessarily on good drawings. I think it helps, but I think the the better stro- stories and the better bits of journalism don't need fluid beautiful economy of line you know that we aim for in the in the life drawing classes um maybe yeah maybe it's an excuse i think actually when (laughs) this is a bit of an admission when i started doing this i thought my drawings weren't very good and so uh, uh, i think i started by thinking well if i can just draw extraordinary things then i can disguise some of the kind of the bit that you know that i don't want to draw faces or uh whatever it was so you so i think to certainly to start with i remember getting set a project to university about reportage and i thought right i'll just pick the most extraordinary thing i can think of and plunge myself into it and i got this i got permission from a plastic surgeon to go into his theatre and draw this little girl who was having a mole removed from her nose. And it was, it was, uh, what they did was they pumped a balloon into her forehead over six months. So you got extra skin growing uh, so they would stretch the skin. Then when you took the balloon out, you had extra skin in which they would cut the mole off on her nose and fold the skin over. So in the last operation, they take this balloon out and you can see the skull and the nose and the eyes of this four-year-old. And there's about five highly professional doctors with a sort of world of experience of doing this operation. And then there's a sort of pressure, isn't there? Then you've really just got to, you've got to get on with it. There's no excuses. You can't rub out, you can't stop. 
they're doing something truly extraordinary and you're doing you're just trying to show a bit of it so it there's a sort of it, it kind of calls your bluff and you've just got to get on with it to what extent is drawing something extreme or something very visually powerful a method of you you know and i'm being deliberately difficult here either hiding behind something that's inc- already amazing versus you feel an immense pressure to perform and that works for you i think to start with i used uh the taking a big white sheet of paper and a pen and a dip pen and ink as a way of learning to draw and if you want and i would still use it now and i still teach it now that to put down a pencil and get rid of a rubber so that you've got you know you've really got to concentrate on where the line goes you can just always work over the top of it there's a boldness there that that helps um but but now i think it's a way of uh, i mean i use so i use it in that sense and i use it as a way of getting somebody to tell those stories and and and, and allowing access to them because in some cases uh they're not always easy to do with kids or with medical things or with war um and um the other part is it isn't i mean these story everybody's story i guess is good enough on their own without without the sort of gimmick of of um the sort of way of telling it but i think there are some and and this case was one of them and there are others that i think drawing allows because it because it isn't a photograph and it isn't scary and we don't imagine we're going to be shocked it, it gives a kind of way in to people to look at it. It allows people to look at it because they know that it's okay. Um, there's a, um, because I've sort of comprehended it and had to make it beautiful in order for you to look at it, even if it is a war zone or a girl's head uh, being operated on, then it's still, it allows sort of time. And I guess that's the key. Yeah, and that is very interesting. I mean, I'm I'm conscious of not getting bogged down it too much, even though I find it very interesting because I've had people say no um, to a portrait, places like Rwanda, because they believe it'll take a piece of their soul. And who am I to argue with them? You know, uh, whereas they can see that you're not doing that. You're not capturing anything. You're not taking anything. There's no hidden screen or film or whatever it is so yeah and i think they also i mean well yeah without sort of giving too much of getting out of ourselves they almost also they probably just don't take it very seriously they probably don't think it's very good they probably don't consider it to even represent them in some cases so you know in a way you can play to the just you know what are you that sort of idea that it's just a stranger sitting in a corner being odd. <laughs> uh, you... And that's okay too. Yeah, well, of course it is. Yeah. I think what I, one of the things that is obviously very interesting and unique about you and what you do is that you cross the border into Syria, you know, from Turkey to go and do this. And yet we haven't spoken about that at all. You know, that, I mean... It's obviously a very adventurous pursuit, you know, hanging out in war zones, conflict zones, dangerous places. Yeah, it is. I always, always think that when people, I have conversations with people about this, that I have disappointing answers to those questions. Is it scary? Um, what does your mother think? Is, you know, isn't it dangerous? And, uh, no, the, the answer is that though that places like Syria and Iraq, when I was there, were dangerous places to be. But um, yeah, but but there is something I used I used drawing as a as a bit of a safety net in that if I that in that in order for me to be able to do it, 
I need to be able to sit down or stand for 10, 20, 30 minutes or an hour. And so if I can't do that, then I am probably in the wrong place. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't take particularly long. It doesn't always take long. I think people assume that I'm sort of setting up an easel on the rooftop in Mosul and, uh, and ducking, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm sitting with a bit of paper and a, and a pen and, uh, I'm often with photographers and, you know, I'm not holding any, I'm not holding anybody up. Um, <laughs> filmmakers, filmmakers actually. Now they can take a long time. <laughs> there's quite a lot to do. Uh, I'm going to upset a lot of people on this, but <laughs> there's a lot to do, and you've got to, but you, and you've got to have a couple of takes. <laughs> um, but it's quite a good. I enjoy working with alongside uh, journalists and uh, filmmakers because there is it kind of buys me time. Um, if I'm on my own, then. Um, I feel guilty and I'm always like rushing and making sure that everyone doesn't want to leave. I can't tell whether you're downplaying it. Well, there's three things. You're, you're, you're either downplaying it or you genuinely don't believe it's adventurous or it just isn't. And I don't think that one's very likely. Good question. I think it's... Um, I don't think it's, I don't associate the, those trip, the trips to, with, I find it difficult to associate them with, uh, with like being brave or being fearless or it being adventurous because I think that, th that the, the people that I found when I was there are in fact, um, and it's there part of the world and we're and I am there as an, as an imposter doing a job for a week or two weeks and so I, I think not too much attention should be put on it but because because I think they're they're it's sort of part of life and they're living living through it and it's their the drawings are supposed to be of them and not of of um of the other bits <laughs> not, not very well articulated no but it's um, very interesting very interesting because oh yeah it, it almost feels like you are and i'm just you know full disclaimer i'm i'm not trying to be unkind i just am exploring the exploring the theme um it feels as though you don't want it to be about you at all. And whilst I recognize that the drawings aren't, the process of process of creating them is fundamentally about you. Yeah. Well, I think that's an age old fly on the wall, but we'd like to be able to watch it without, we'd like to be able to witness it and record it and tell it without being an influence on it but the moment you put a camera or a microphone or a sketch a piece of paper or a stranger in a room it does change it uh you're right i i i think i set out for it to be i think in its purest form reportage illustration should tell the story of the other person without the influence of you or me in it. But um, that is that is tricky because uh, inevitably the better drawings or the better conversations are of the things that I'm reacting to. Of course, because they're of you. Yeah. So, um, how can I deflect off this conversation? Uh, <laughs> no, you're, I, well, you're absolutely right. But, uh, I, I think having got to know, um, places like, well, people and the situation in Syria since I was there 10 years ago, uh, eight years ago, but now, you know, 10 years on, it's still the same war. It feels 
I feel sensitive when someone says, and not that you've done this, but if, if there is a suggestion that I've been brave or adventurous or um, because actually I know the realities of that and um, that I speak to people a lot through the, the little charity that I set up uh, every day about like proper unchosen acts of bravery for, for, their, for, their, own, for, their, for their own people and countries and and so it's, it seems odd to to have it directed in my direction. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. No, that's, I, I can't argue with that. I mean, what I could ask you is to define adventure. Well, that's easier. I think the adventure part for me uh, is linked to making the drawing and so it can be the the bits that i get excited about are not necessarily um not necessarily no i spent actually very comparatively very little time in in, in places like uh, in the middle east uh, sort of on the front line but the bits that i sort of get excited about are the bits that people missed or that photographers and news teams didn't uh, spend time doing. So um, I did a story in Lebanon um, and we just sat, I sat in the, the, the homes of people in the Bekaa Valley, Syrian refugees, and I just drew their belongings um, that they'd brought over the, over the, over the mountains and into their new lives. And they were extraordinary sets of things. The most, you know, it's the stuff that you would never imagine were the things that you grabbed when you when you thought that your house was going to be bombed or that you you fled. A um, couple of like teddy bears, the remote control for the t TV that's left behind, uh, a teapot, um, a, uh, a broken broken phone charges, all these things that kind of we all know and, and are very real and we've got a drawer full of them at home. And there was one there was one woman who'd fled with her two two kids. They'd both grabbed teddy bears. And she had in the rush she just grabbed the drawer that she knew the torch was in. They were leaving at night and they were going over the hill uh, through the dark. And when they got to the next place she had this like set of belongings. That were the only things are left of her home and she, and they didn't know when they were going back so by the time i got there they laid them out for me to draw when it was sort of some nice things uh, and some you know broken bits of plastic uh um and the passport that didn't work anymore and a clock off the wall um and so that isn't that isn't anything other than uh it's it's just of using drawing as it at its best to describe what I found what I found. Um, so the adventure part is I guess linked to making making that sort of picture um, describe describe what there, what was there. This is difficult, but it does it feel voyeuristic? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I was drawing once in a. I'll, I'll sort of describe the moment I, that, that I felt the most voyeuristic. Um, I was drawing in a hospital in children's ward between the Syrian border 
well, inside Syria, just inside from the Turkish border, a place called Bab al Hawar. Um, and I'm kind of ushered into the room, like, you know, you're here as a journalist. If you want to see this, then here's the children's ward. And there's three kids in bed, all of them with a parent sitting outside them. And I've got my board. It's quite unwieldy. And uh, I start drawing this little boy called Ahmed, who's in the middle. And he has lost his mother, his brother, and his right leg about 72 hours before. And his dad was sitting at the end of the bed, dressed completely in black, uh, sort of inconsolable. And the nurse comes in and she sort of sees that I'm drawing something. And, and so she goes across the room and says, well, you know, if you like pulls the sheets off him to show his naked body and the stump, like, you know, if you're here, this is, you know, if you want to see what's really happened, then this is, this is it, you know, draw this, sort of daring me as it were to draw it. And, um, then the dad is saying, well, you know, art can't change anything. And then there's a bloke in the corner who's, whose son is in the other room and he's translating and saying that this is exactly what you should be doing. This is what the other, what, what, you know, take these drawings home and show people this is what's happened to us. And, um, the drawing is, half you know, feel it now even doing it now the drawing is half finished because i just remember i think I, and the only reason i think that is because once i'd done it i um well first of all didn't want to ruin it and second of all uh i just sort of wanted to get out of there but there is a um it's a, it's, it's 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 also a thing that applies to artists is putting up of a board like like holding a camera up between you or sort of defense mechanism um and i remember just sort of thinking that i should just get on with it and draw and and just treating it like a you know an exercise um so i think it is voyeuristic but i think it's an incredibly sensitive and uh kind of honest way of doing it and i think you are I think one of its criticisms, which is, I think one of its criticisms, probably from a journalistic point of view, is that I would always draw probably in favor of the people that are in front of me. I'm not, I'm drawing them because they're telling me their story. And so it's their point of view, and it's difficult to. And I can't necessarily, obviously the story itself can be checked and checked again, but the actual drawing is always in favor of the person that's in front of you because you are difficult to be distant. Yeah, but there's no such thing as, you know, impartial creativity, whether that's, it just doesn't work. It's impossible. Yeah, sure. But I think when I look at my mates that are doing like proper, proper journalism, I think that I don't have, I don't, the level, uh, you know, to, to the level to go to, to write a piece or a book or a, is beyond, I mean, it's, it's hard to do in a drawing basically so uh yeah that's to be still learning about that i think so are you not a proper journalist i don't know if i am i mean in the sense that the work that i've done has contributed to stories in newspapers uh and magazines and i've talked about them and told them on all the, the, the on all the things that you would associate with journalists, PBCs and CNNs. And uh, in that sense, yes, but I feel like uh, it's a bit of an act. I feel a bit of an outsider, I guess, in that sense. It's, it's incredibly difficult to get work commissioned from like the news industry. Um, I'm always the one pitching them 
it's it's rarely the other way around. And so I think the stories stand stand up as journalistic, but um Not I guess I'm not necessarily what I would imagine as a journalist, although I think it is very much reportage and journalistic. Does it matter? Absolutely not. <laughs> Why not? Uh, I... It does. I do, well, I, do, I mean, maybe it does matter, but I know I don't think it does. I mean, I, I I think the bit that I'm good at is making a drawing and writing down in the in the words of the person I'm sitting in front of what what their experience was, and um, I don't think that matters whether it ends from. In, in my case, I don't mind where it ends up. I aim it at newspapers because it gives me, it gives a chance to have the story and the picture side by side, which which I I, in, I think is a great way, a great formula. But I don't think it matters matters if it ends up on the gallery wall or on a screen or a, so. No, I don't think it does matter. Very interesting. I suppose, it, I suppose it matters if you're trying to make a living from it because you need to have somewhere to put it and someone needs to pay for no, it. No, that is, I mean, that's a very significant point because I, I, you know, let's speak frankly, I'm trying to work out whether or not you believe that what you do has value and whether or not you're content with what you do and whether or not you're confident with it and about it. But actually, is it more of a commercial angle that is the struggle? Uh, I am. That's a good question, isn't it? Um, I think it's. A, yeah, I would never. I would. I probably won't stop doing what what I'm doing or approaching these it ever because I, I because I just think it's. Yeah, I. I I love doing it and it gives a real kind of purpose and it allows a kind of, it allows a um, finding people and places that, that otherwise would never, would never happen. So in that sense, very comfortable. Um, well, yeah, I, I don't know whether it's, it's but, but you're right. There is a discomfort in my voice about whether it fits in with what other people are expecting. Uh, it's an incredibly comfortable thing to 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 feel and do in the in a different part of the world, but coming back here and trying to sell it, it's more difficult. Yeah. And uh, do you think that's because of the way the world's changed and public appetite? I think there's more appetite than ever for stories and, and a way to get them around for people to see, see them. But I think illustration is often overlooked as a way of doing that. I think you, as, as, you, know, as you say at the beginning, uh, why not take a photograph? Is the is the thing that I'm up against the most? It's cheaper. There's probably one online online already, um, and um, it's what we assume the audience wants because we've now become so brilliant at looking at them. So, in every sort of pitch that I have to go to, I first of all have to explain what why it might be a good thing. Why is it, why would illustration be good on this page instead of a photograph? And then I have to pitch the idea afterwards, and that works. But, you know, for my majority of the time, I can I can it, it works. But um, I think it would all stop tomorrow <laughs> if I stopped making phone calls. Yeah, but that that's you know I'm 32. I mean that's the story of the last 10 years for me, and I I take photographs and I make films. I mean. Yeah. Things are slightly different these days, but 
that's just being a creative person working in the commercial world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no I understand that. Um, yeah. So if you won the lottery, what would you do? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. I mean from a, I mean there'd probably be lots of things to change, but from a from a working point of view, uh I would I have money uh, I like it's a very affordable thing to do doing pen and ink drawings on paper. It's, they're not like big sculptures or oil paintings or so say um if sort of money was no objective object then then I would um no I think this this way of working is a uh, I like the basicness of it that uh, it's not about expensive equipment or sort of immediate delivery it's that's the point it's about sitting down with um with 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 people and uh yeah going through that going through those those hoops and seeing what comes out at the end of it so this is it feels definitely like a tangent or going back in time a little bit but do you work with fixers and other people because i feel like the conversation we've had is i like to draw things and i do it in i mustn't say adventurous or interesting places um but you know exactly what i mean um places that are very different from you know the south bank in london how do you get there what how do you you know physically go from yeah uh i mean the same way that all the like that that you would or the other journalists or um filmmakers are going I, i went to armenia before christmas and that was a um uh, a couple of COVID tests plus a flight to um, Yerevan, and I was with a friend who was writing, doing some writing, and we were working together. Uh, so in the same way, yeah, try and find a fixer. Try and find a fixer that understands that I'm not trying to take a photograph, um, and then those relationships are then as important as any. In fact, perhaps more important, uh, it takes a couple of days to explain that they're gonna to get into that rhythm of working that they're learning that you want a slightly different thing from 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 the next person. So, in yeah, in the in the case of a place like Armenia and uh, Kurdistan, you know, when when the war was happening in Mosul, that was also very easy place to get to and uh flight to flight to Erbil visa on arrival stay in a nice hotel nice nice-ish hotel uh and then you could make your way across get a press card to Mosul and um get embedded with with whoever whoever you wanted but the fixer was a key role in that and we had a we had a a classic guy called McKean which has which I imagine people listening to will will know because he was the kind of one to to get you in and out of Mosul, and he uh, he had a combination of uh, Iraqi plus Brummy accent. He'd lived in uh, England for ten years in a, working in a scrapyard, and went home in the beginning of the war to help the war effort. And he would he would fix sort of within reason. Whatever you, whatever you wanted, um, and um, so sometimes you get you get that, and then sometimes you get the opposite. And uh, in that sense, it, it's useful. Then I then I think that is to answer your earlier question. Now it is a kind of journalistic like part to that. that and they're very much part of that the sort of wheel. Um, but as an artist, I think the best way is just to put a board under your arm and wander around. It's a very unique. I use that word very sparingly. I hardly ever say it. I very have 
strong views on it, but what you do is unique. I've never come across anybody else that draws in war zones. Yeah, that's there are well, there are a few other people doing it, but not. I mean, not not in the same, not necessarily in the same way. Um, there are variations. Yeah, of uh, of the same of the same theme, I guess. But but typically, you have to look back in in history books to find people who sat down and drawn. Uh, yeah, and and I suppose it's not always war zones, but uh, yeah. So some, I guess, some of the better drawings are also. I did this great. Did this great. Well, I thought it was a good set of drawings in a. Uh, <laughs> For a German magazine in a court in a in a, uh, a neo-Nazi terror trial, you're not allowed to draw in the courts in England. You so you have to, in England it's it's, total, it's complete chaos. You you basically have to go into the court. You're not allowed a pen or paper. You look at the person that's in the dock, and then you run outside to the press room, and then you and then you draw. And then you do it again and again and again. You're allowed to do it as many times as you want, but you're not allowed to draw in there, um, which is why they sometimes look a bit odd, those drawings. And then, um, but in Germany, we got permission from, from the court and I was allowed to sit in there. And so there was this uh, woman called uh, Beate Schapper who'd, who's, who'd confessed to bombing a Turkish uh, hairdressers, but then had refused to speak, and she and she, it was a huge court case went on for three years, and so there was these all these different characters in the court that had to be drawn: the judge, the plaintiffs, um, the room, the TV cameras are allowed in the beginning, and then they were thrown out. The press boxes were packed, and so it was this um, a great opportunity just to draw, sit and draw, and know that no one else could see. There were going to be no other pictures of this other than. Than what I made of it, and so and then, and then there was a real kind of reward in that being published in Süddeutsche Zeitung, which is like a big a magazine in southern Germany. So um, that's when I think it works the best. So although I try and perhaps make excuses about being a journalist, it it sort of comes into its own when I know there's a real relief when it's published, and I know that. The story of Ahmed, or the story of Mama Nazak, or uh, Mustafa, the, 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 the Iraqi artists are told, then the kind of the pressure's off. I sort of did what I said I was going to do. Um, but there's huge un, uncertainty for me every time about whether that's going to happen. That's amazing, though. Especially, it just seems, I mean, I'd never considered that they weren't allowed to take photographs in there, I suppose. But. Yeah, or yeah, or draw. Yeah, I think in America you can draw in some courts. So, okay, you're going to get really grumpy with me, but do you consider yourself to be adventurous and brave? No, I don't think so. Brave in the sense that I'm put. I I, I guess braver in the sense that I'm putting some. Uh, I don't know whether bravery is the right word. I think I think it could be braver for a, an artist to show their work because it's it's sort of bearing everything they've ever learnt or known. Or the fear is more that it's going to go wrong and that it won't live up to it. I think. But I often, I'm uh, I often am asked. Uh, no, I think. No, I think. People saying, "Why do you always want? Why are you trying to go out of your comfort zone?" But uh, I don't know wherever, wherever it is, West Africa or Afghanistan. But actually, I get I just I don't know. I feel I feel like it is in it because it's almost into my comfort zone. I there is a it's uh, it's ordinary. People are honest. Um, I am doing the thing that I've spent 15 years practicing, uh, and that is, seems, you know, that's a very basic thing, which is to sit down on the floor and 
copy down what I see in front of me. Uh, those places are have had histories uh, often misunderstood as more dangerous than than they are, but because of the role that I am in there, which is a very uh, sort of very without repeating myself, but it is a very a kind of non-threatening one. I think that I can do though I can be there without it being particularly a particularly dangerous thing to, to do. Um, so yeah, I do shy away from words like that. And there is an element to it, but I think um, it's about approach and planning and end result. I think that's fair. It's not a disappointing answer, just to, you know, I'm not looking for you to tell me, you know, how brave and and adventurous you are. But no, because to me, you know, as soon as you said comfort zone, I, I, I was with you. I mean, that's, it's one of my pet, pet hates actually is this implication that we're stepping out into the unknown. Um, I think you can just be, you can go, I can go halfway around the world and be in a place where I don't speak the same language, sleeping on the floor and and everything is in theory out of your comfort zone, but feel, but I can feel incredibly relaxed and then I can come back to uh, the studio in South Bank and well, you know, a year ago, go to a, go and meet some friends in the pub and feel completely distant. So I think where I'm really, what I'm really sat here thinking is, you know, as a 32 year old white man from England, I feel like life has often lacked a little bit of purpose and meaning. Um, it's very easy to, you know, have a nice, comfortable life. I mean, comfort's addictive. That's one of the problems. But living purposefully and finding reason is a very difficult thing, I would argue. Do you think you have purpose and reason? Yeah. I think that, I think, but I think the drawing gives me both. What would you do without it? Well, I run a little charity, uh, which I started when I came back from Syria with some friends. Uh, and I could spend, I often, I could spend a lot of time doing that. I often use it as a way of procrastinating from my work. <laughs> uh, and, um, but it's just a great, as I say, you know, if you're working on your own to have like another reason to like to be doing something and to be in touch with that part of the world that that was very it, I, it sort of occurred to me that although the, the people I drew out there in in, uh, in Iraq or in you know, Mustafa, this like wonderful artist who I met one afternoon who'd been beaten by um, ISIS for drawing in his town so he'd been drawing as well. And he'd been beaten up by ISIS for making photograph uh, for making pictures of what he'd seen them do to people, and um, and it was it was his way of it was very cathartic for him and a real kind of therapy, uh, and so but I only spent an afternoon with him, and it's and it occurred to me that for him he probably hasn't thought about it again since, but for but it was incredibly meaningful moment for me and um so i think i would spend more time uh trying to get this charity which we support uh, teachers and, and doctors in syria paying their wages and it's pretty it's pretty unsexy but it's it, and it gives it would give me purpose and reason outside of, of something else well I could, do you want to just give me the the quick lowdown on what it is uh it's called uh, Hands Up. It's called the Hands Up Foundation. And we raise about half a million pounds a year and send it to 20 medical staff in, um, in the north of Syria and 300 kids uh, in Lebanon, Syrian kids. Uh, we, we, uh, we don't pay for their education, but we pay for the sort of support and stationary packs and for it to for it to happen um 
and it's those sorts of I like the 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 doctors with the ones that I'm some of the ones that I met originally when I was there so it comes out and, and I and I drew at the time so that's why it's hard to talk when you sort of perhaps why it's sort of unclear when I talk about you know the two are so closely interwoven between how I feel and what I draw that it's difficult to divide the two into kind of job or or um what any of the any of the other difficult things that you've asked <laughs> well i'm not sorry so <laughs> no, you're very good at it well, done. <laughs> well thanks um so you haven't asked me to do this i imagine it's going to make you extremely uncomfortable but can you tell me about the book and where people can buy it and where they can find it and um yes i can thank you for asking about it it's called drawn across borders um and it's but it's where possible the words of the people that i met um and the drawings that accompanied those stories uh so in syria and um serbia in in, in the kind of warehouses where these refugees were waiting and economic migrants in tajikistan and and bits in west in east africa as well uh and it's available on it's published on the first of april it's been put back uh but it's you can pre you can pre-order it online obviously not from the place that we don't pre-order books that we don't online. talk about yeah <laughs> but the other one of the other nice independent bookshops and um yeah that it's sort of more articulate versions of what I've tried to explain to you, um, <laughs> and mostly drawings. It's it's aimed at. One of the reasons for doing it was because there must be loads of classrooms of kids. It's aimed at ten to eighteen year olds, um, but with like grown up drawings and the stories that I've explained, um, and especially in London, South London, where I now live and work, there must be loads of classrooms where stories of you know, everyone in the class is probably connected in a, in, a, in an indirect way to a story of migration, but they probably never talked about it because we still have a problem in this country about sort of accepting that people might be from somewhere else because we simply don't. The UK, in the UK, we don't. Migration is not something that factors into our lives. But if you have travelled, like I have, to Syria or to Afghanistan, or this is something that is part of their life they will expect they may expect to do it they definitely know somebody's done it they've probably got family in another part of the world and so it isn't about, it's not about being sort of putting up the barriers it's about just being accepting that that is something that happens and um it's so the book tries to normalize that and it spans a few of the stereotypes you know all the old favorites that they never want to go home that you know, they're just looking for work and um, there isn't, doesn't appear to be any evidence, consistent evidence of that ever. And that's what I found. And so it's it mostly pictures and a few words to try and explain that along the way. Nice. Um, I always ask people two questions. I was going to let you off, but I'm not going to. Um, what worries you? Um, what worries? Climate. I'm more anxious about that than I think I am about anything else. And I'm going to make some, I'm already starting to make some drawings around, around that, um, around that subject. In particular, I think in particular that feeling of helplessness in like in the face of enormous task, how could, how could drawings or something creative help? anybody comprehend you know the enormous figures you know where the science hasn't worked or hasn't connected is there a way of, of understanding it um so that scares me what brings you hope young people i've got a i've got a 12 year old brother and um we have some great conversations about the world i just feel that people that age they're just they're just right aren't they about i mean they're not right about anything but they also just might be right about everything and so 
you try, just trying to think that's hopeful. And maybe it's terrifying at the same time, but it's it's very reassuring to have conversations with him. And then I said two questions, but uh, the finale is um, you said to me at some point in this conversation that in a hospital ward somewhere, somebody said to you that art can't change anything. Yeah. Can art change anything? Um, yes, I think it can. I think it can influence things. Uh, and I think in a world of, I think in a world where the, the, uh, uh, what's the word? Where the accent, where the sort of the um, the emphasis is put on kind of maths and English and being very businesslike and on time and and uh, structured and scientific, and I think we have forgotten that there is a space for something artistic, whether that's color or rhythm or language or anything in between nice we'll leave it there thanks for listening check out george's book drawn across borders and make sure you grab a copy I've got one on my desk right now and it's a wonderful insight into the corners of the world that we usually see through the eyepiece of a camera. The podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and produced and distributed by Pip Saunders and Alex Hall. It's edited by Kate Bullivan. You can keep in touch at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk and you can stay up to date on Instagram at theadventurepodcast.com.